What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This to me is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story slowly grew Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind-blowing. Welcome, guys, to Conspiranormal. We are in full effect for our Halloween shows that are coming up. And uh, we do have a guest starting out, but uh, Rob, how you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you You for asking. You haven't fallen apart yet. You got to meet Ween, so that was good. I did. Yeah, I got got to meet the guys from Ween. That was as interesting as you'd expect. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. We're kind of got an interesting little two-part show tonight. And Mr. Serfiel, you've actually found this guest uh, that we're about to talk to. So if you can kind of introduce him, we'll go go ahead and get started with the interview. Yeah, I found this uh, this this book was at a friend of mine's house, and they know I'm into paranormal stuff and local history. Uh, so I uh, asked to borrow it, and they kindly let me. And I uh, thought it'd be a good show idea for a Halloween episode. Uh, the book is Dark and Bloody Ground, uh, strange, or Strange Tales of the Dark and Bloody Ground, Authentic Accounts of Restless Spirits, Haunted Honky Tonks, and Eerie Events in Tennessee by Mr. Christopher K. Coleman. And he is our guest tonight. Uh, introduce yourself, Mr. Coleman. Well, um, I appreciate your having me on the show. Um, I've been in Nashville, well, in the middle Tennessee area for oh, several decades, and uh, I'm originally a damn Yankee, but um, That's okay. I've made, made Nashville my home. And uh, when I first moved here, I, I mean, I when I was a kid, just to, to tell you how far back it goes, I, I was a kid, I used to watch The Twilight Zone, and there was a show called One Step Beyond, which I always loved. And the one step beyond is 
was based on true tales uh, 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 of the paranormal and the unexplained. So I kind of, you know, like I said, uh, uh, bit my te- teeth on 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 that when I was a kid. But and I was also a Civil War buff too. Um, and but I had no idea that any of that related to Nashville or the Middle Tennessee area when I moved here. And that was for personal reasons. Um, and then bit by bit, um, started picking up on things that, uh, coincidentally seemed to fit in with my previous interests. Like I, I didn't, like I said, I had no idea that Nashville had anything to do with the civil war. Meanwhile, it turns out Nashville was civil war central, you know, um, or paranormal. Like, um, one, one story when I was a small kid, I heard about was the disappearance of David Lang. Turns oh, out, yeah, yeah. Turns out, we moved up to Sumner County, only a few uh-huh. miles from where his disappearance allegedly took place. Now, that's kind of a the disappearance of David Lang is kind of complicated, and some people say it's a total fabrication. But um, other things like, um, well, I was just talking about the day it rained blood and gore in uh, Wilson County. Um, that, that was something I read originally in Charles Fort, who anybody out there who's familiar with Charles Fort, uh, and Fortiana, um, there's a whole discipline out there (laughs) devoted to his works. Um, basically things that happen that no, that science cannot explain. And, uh, the long, that's the long and short of it. Um, and some of the weirdest things like, you know, people have reported fish falling from the sky or frogs, um, uh, things like that. Um, you know, it's not, the scientists hate unexplained phenomena, so they always dream up excuses for it. Um, but uh, the truth of the matter is nobody's really come up with an adequate explanation, a real explanation, instead of just a rationalization. And things like... Um, Bloody rain um, is even rarer and even weirder than normal 40, 40 in falls. And that did happen in uh, Wilson County. Um, it was back before the Civil War. Um, and uh, basically, the, uh, like I said, I devote a whole chapter to it in Strange Tales of the Dark and Bloody Ground. But a, a farmer named E.M. Chandler, um, of course, this was back before the Civil War, so the, his tobacco crop was being tended by his slaves. And in the middle of the day, they came running up to the house um, and had a, they had a strange tale to tell. They were farming, you know, tending to the tobacco crop. Uh, I guess it was early August. And suddenly out of the sky came um, drops of, first drops of blood and then actual pieces of flesh falling all over the place and um well you know the the farmer didn't believe him at first but then he went out to the field and saw for himself and it became kind of a uh, at the time it became a widely uh, in, in in the middle tennessee area it became a widely reported um phenomenon and it even hit the the national news um at the time, there Nashville was had the, the old University of uh, Nashville. It, it's defunct now, but 
um, Peabody College and Vanderbilt Medical School actually were originally part of the old University of Tennessee, uh, University of Nashville, excuse me, not Tennessee. Um, at any rate, they had a professor come out, a uh, fellow named Troost, and he kind of inspected it. He said, well, it is flesh and it is blood. And didn't much say more than that. Um, uh, later, after a couple of weeks of people tromping around his tobacco crops and people not wanting to buy his tobacco crop because it was kind of, you know, who wants something that's full of blood and gore? Um, he finally let out that these his slaves had invented the whole story. And um, uh, the thing is, in those days, uh, no no slave in their right mind would invent something that would get them punished uh, severely. Um, so I kind of think uh, what really happened was he saw that his uh, you know crop was in danger of not being sold or harvested. Yeah, and he kind of let that out, and then quickly everybody just took that at face value and let the story drop. But um, some of the eyewitness descriptions kind of um, lead me to believe that what they were telling was true. One uh, newspaper reporter noted that the droplets on the leaves of tobacco made a kind of a radial pattern. Now, these days they they have experts try it uh, at, at, at criminal trials who are what they call blood splatter experts. Mm-hmm. If you go through a field, say you got a, a a cup full of blood, and you start sprinkling it left and right uh, on on tobacco plants, it'll most likely leave a teardrop pattern because it's going sideways. The only way to get a, like a like a, a radial drop is if it's coming vertically from out of the sky, and that's what the um, the reporter noticed about the, the the droplets on on the tobacco plants. So. We have actual forensic evidence that it was genuine. Why? How? Nobody knows. We don't know if it was um, human or animal or what it was. No, there, there was back in that. This was in I think like the eighteen forties. Um, um, yeah, eighteen forty one. Um, in the eighteen seventies, something similar happened in Bath, Kentucky, um, and. Very similar. Now, again, some scientists came out and said, oh, it's just Gnostic. Now, Gnostic is evidently a ground fungus that's reddish in color. Um, but then someone else, that, that was the ex- excuse. And then actually they had it took a sample to the, uh, get this, the University of Transylvania. <laughs> there actually is a Transylvania University up in Kentucky, yes, um, yeah. and they actually they actually did uh, 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 analyze it. What they could determine was that it was uh, the the pieces of flesh were animal. They were not plant or anything else. They were not fungus or anything anything like that. They were actual pieces of, of meat. Um, again, uh, you can always. Uh, you, Debunkers are always say, well, it was a hoax. Well, why would somebody go to that length to just get, uh, yeah. At any rate, um, 40 and falls of blood and gore are, are pretty rare. Uh, like I said, uh, those, those are two from the Middle Tennessee area that probably could count uh, genuine 
uh, falls of, of blood and gore, uh, maybe on two hands or less that, that I that I've come across. Very strange. But they do have, yeah, very strange. Of course, Nashville, the University of Nashville. Um, if you go downtown on Second Avenue, where there's a, a, a bunch of city office buildings on Second Avenue South mm-hmm. with a big stone wall around it. That is the old campus of the University of Nashville, and, and one of the original campus buildings is still in existence in the back. Um, it's it's a kind of a gray um, limestone building. I, I'm not sure what they call it. It, it was originally the, the mil- military school for the University of Nashville. Um, there was a professor from the University of Nashville who is... I don't know if anybody's familiar with uh, spontaneous human combustion. Yes, sir. Or SHC. Yes, sir. Never Um, experienced it, thank God. Never personally, but I've heard of it. Yeah, and and again, it's kind of a rare phenomenon. People suddenly burst into flame and are like consumed in a very, very hot fire. But it's very concentrated. It's like they found people who were sitting in their chair and... Maybe their legs are intact, and maybe they're the top of their their head and their top of their torso, but the whole middle is like was consumed by fire. But the whole the whole room didn't burn. It's just like a like almost like a like a laser um, or, or something very very intense, very hot, but uh, not widespread. Um, there again, scientists try to explain the way. Um, I think Arthur C. Clarke's uh, had uh, dealt with it one, and he had a he had some scientists who described claimed it was kind of like a human uh, burrito. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> and he was saying that that oh, it always happens to alcoholic fat people, and uh, that their clothes uh, contain the fire, so it's like a slow burning fire, as if you lit a burrito on fire. Uh, I mean, I mean. I'm trying to give the the scientific explanation, which makes as little sense uh, as possible. But uh, you know, right. if you want to, if you want want to grasp for explanations, that that's that's the scientific explanation. A a human burrito, um, and and they claim, oh well, they're they're just uh, people who are alcoholic or overweight, and they burst into fire or something. Um, well, the um, the professor who burst into fire at the University of Nashville back in the early 1800s. Um, I don't have a photo of him, but the fact that he died of uh, tuberculosis tells me that he probably wasn't very heavy. Um, Tuberculosis is kind of a wasting disease, and people are usually very... It takes them a long time to die, but they're usually very thin. Um, At any rate... he didn't die of spontaneous combustion. Uh, he was taking um, meteorological measurements one morning. Uh, it was a cold morning, and suddenly he felt something on his leg, and there was like a jet of flame coming out of his ankle. Now, if anybody knows anything about spontaneous human combustion, it is so hot that if you try to put water on it, it actually spreads because. Like phosphorus, um, it'll actually convert the water to hydrogen and oxygen. Um, fortunately, what he did was he, he would at first try to uh, pat it, and then he cupped it over, and 
fortunately, it stopped before it spread to, to his entire body. But he, being a scientist, he inspected uh, it um, analytically, and it wasn't, uh, the flame did not come on his clothing from the outside. It was on from the inside out. So it, it actually, the jet of flame was actually coming from his body, burning through the, the, his clothes. Um, and he, he did publish, a, a, there was a, a scientific report published. Uh, it took me quite a while to dig up the, the report. I got, well, not not his report, but the secondhand report in a, in a, a scientific journal. But um, So Nashville has the distinction of having the only uh, scientific um, uh, observation of spontaneous human combustion. So wow. you learned something new. We're every unique day. in that regard, and that, that's <laughs> yeah. that's also in that's also in the strange tales. So that that yes. was my first book. The David so. Lang disappearance. I have heard that that's actually fake, or am I? I may be thinking of another one, but wasn't that based on an Ambrose Bierce story? Well, yeah. See, it, yeah, see I'm also a B- Ambrose Bierce fan. So, you know, I I just wrote a, um, my latest book, in fact, is, now it's not paranormal, it's a, it's a straight up biography of Ambrose Bierce's wartime career. Nice. And believe it or not, Ambrose, Ambrose Bierce was in and out of Nashville throughout the Civil War. Yes, um, he was in the, primarily in the Western Theater, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was in the Army of the Cumberland, um, he was in the 9th Indiana Volunteers, um, and so his his unit was... Uh, you know, when they weren't out campaigning, campaigning, they were their their base was here in Nashville. Um, but um, I think some of his taste for the, for the weird was picked up uh, as a result of his wartime experiences. Uh, he did write one ghost story. Uh, his his unit was stationed in. Um, and south of Murfreesboro or, or west of Murfreesboro for about six months in 1863, early 1863. And um, he wrote a ghost story about um, a, a night patrol by cavalry. And the funny thing is, a lot of his stories, his fiction stories, he changes the names to protect the guilty. Um, <laughs> in this case, he mentioned the actual officer in charge. And I looked it up in the the official the, the official reports. It's like uh, of the Union and Confederate armies. It's like 136 dig down volumes, and there are patrol actions uh, of the third. Um, I think it was the third Ohio Cavalry. I'd have I'm, I'm, I'd have to consult my one of my books to give you this, the details. But um, long and the short of it is, uh, while the there's numerous patrol reports. None of them report the ghost story that Pierce tells. But then again, if you were the officer in charge and something strange happened to you while on patrol, I don't think you put it in the official report either. Mm-hmm. So, um, but um, back to what you're talking about with David Lang and Ambrose Pierce. The, the 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 thing is, Pierce was familiar with Nashville and, and Middle Tennessee, very, very much so from his wartime experiences. Um, his difficult, the difficulty of crossing a field, I think, was the name of his short story. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he did was he he changed a lot of the details. He he put it uh, before the Civil War in I think Alabama, and changed some of the names, but. 
you anybody familiar with the David Lang story can tell that he based it based it on the David Lang disappearance. The trouble with the David Lang story is um, it was written about in um, 1953 in, in a paranormal magazine. But researchers since then have the guy who wrote the original story. Um, he fabricated a lot of details. He was he was a kind of a fiction writer, a script screenwriter for Hollywood. So he kind of uh, elaborated on the story. The thing is that he didn't invent the Dave Lang story. Um, it goes back before him, actually to the 1880s. Um, I've the trouble I, I haven't put it in any of my books yet because I have yet to track down the original article. Um, a fellow named, uh, well, he wrote by the name of uh, Orange Blossom, wrote the original story, and um, he was a a mole, His actual name was Mulhatton, and he was a teller of tall tales. Let's put it that way. But the thing about Mulhatton was he he would take a grain of truth and then he would kind of spin a very plausible tale around it, especially after he'd had a few drinks. And he he was very fond of drinking uh, and he was traveling salesman. So he picked up a lot of stories in his travels, one of which he picked up when he was uh, there was a heavy rains in Gallatin uh, one year and he was stranded there at the hotel in Gallatin for about a week or so. Because uh, the roads were washed out, and that's when he heard about David Lang, um, and wrote about it in the National, uh, the, the not the National, it's the um, Cincinnati Enquirer. Now the thing is, the Cincinnati Enquirer was owned by the family of Pierce's former brigade commander, uh, General Hazen. Uh, so I think, and and Beers himself was a, a newspaper editor. So in those days, they didn't have AP or any of the, the press services. So they basically would pirate each other's articles in, in newspapers around the country and, and reprint them. And that's probably where Beers picked up the story. Uh, and, and he turned it into fiction. But the story goes back to the 1880s. So- now... What's Is the basic outline of the story? I'm sorry, what'd you say? The basic outline of the story. Yeah. Hey, that's where you got the basic outline of the story. Uh, the, the David Lang story, people have tried to trick, track down David Lang, you know, documentary. Um, there are no, in the census reports, there are no Langs in Sumner County in the 1880s. However, I was, did come across some vote, uh, some tax rolls where somebody had written down the notation um, long parentheses Lang, and uh, there were a couple of Long families L O N G in Sumner County in that period, uh, uh. and it struck me that a Yankee drummer traveling through, hearing a story about Lang. Uh, might have heard it uh, his to to northern ears. It might have been long, you know, just a southern drawl. I've yet to kind of nail it down because I, I have yet to come across uh, orange, the orange blossom article about the disappearance, but it's out there somewhere. Um, again, some of these old um, um, paranormal tales, you know, I'd li- I like to nail down chapter and verse and get, get corroboration before I put them in print. 
because yeah. um, contrary to what the publisher says, my, my books are uh, nonfiction paranormal stories. Because if you could find out those people actually exist, it would lend some some kind of credibility to it. Well, I, I know that there were several long families in Sumner County at the time. Whether one of them disappeared is another case entirely. So I haven't right. haven't nailed the put the nails in the coffin yet. So, well, I want to get into this idea of uh, that the this book, Strange Tales of the Dark and Bloody Ground, is kind of based around. Where does that phrase, the dark and bloody ground, come from? Oh, oh, well, that that does refer to the mid south. Um, it goes back to actually to frontier days um, before any whites actually settled in Nashville or, or Kentucky. They, uh, around 1775, they had a powwow with the Cherokee Indians to um, purchase the lands on the other side of the mountains. They, they were in the Appalachians back then and no, no whites had, had set up any settlements uh, on the other side of the, the mountains. Um, so they had a power of the Cherokees and traded, uh, I guess it was 40 wagon loads of trade goods in return for a purchase of, or what they thought they were purchasing was the land, um, on the other side, the, which included Southern Kentucky and the Cumberland Valley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it seemed like everybody was okay with that deal, except, uh, one fellow named, uh, Dragon Canoe. Uh, Dragging Canoe stepped up and and he condemned the deal in no uncertain terms. And um, he said, this is the dark and bloody ground. And he, whether he was threatening them with blood and gore or whether it was just a prophecy that that no good would come of of selling the land to the whites is kind of debatable. Um, But he, he, Dragging Canoe, the Cherokee leader, was the one who coined the term uh, dark and bloody ground. Um, this is the dark and bloody ground. You said there was a taboo about inhabiting some of this area with the Cherokees? And- yeah. Um, uh, well, and now Dragon Canoe, I should point out, later split off from the main band of the Cherokee, main, main uh, tribe, uh, and formed the Chickamauga Indians. Mm-hmm. So when you hear about Chickamauga or the Chickamauga Indians, they're actually a, a branch of the Cherokee, and they, their leader was Dragon Canoe. Um, and, and when I wrote, the, I also wrote a book on Civil War ghost tales about, and besides the story, uh, the biography of Beers, um, somehow it's gotten into the literature that uh, Chickamauga means river of blood. It, it means no such thing. Now, you can debate the meaning of Chickamauga, but it, it, it existed long before the Battle of Chickamauga. It does not mean River of Blood. That's just the area where the battle took place, Chickamauga Creek. Um, just a minor point, but... Um, I know it was. Yeah, the dark, dark and bloody ground it refers to basically the Mid-South area, southern, southern Kentucky and the Cumberland Valley. And so... Um, after they made the deal, um, they were they were unfazed by um, um, Dragon Canoe's curse, uh, and um, Daniel Boone led the first group over the mountains to settle in Kentucky. And then 
uh, another fellow named James Robertson, well, two guys, James Robertson and John Donaldson, led the, the second group to settle what's now Nashville in the Middle Tennessee area. So that's how, how it got started. And you said um, there, there was a taboo, though, against occupying the area to the Cherokees because of, I guess, the relations to the uh, the ancient ones who were here before, which would who would we would call yeah, now the Mississippian um, mound builders? Uh, yeah, the Nashville, the, the well, the whole Cumberland Valley was, I mean, first of all, it was communal Indian hunting grounds. And um, evidently, when the Cherokees sold the land to the whites, they neglected to tell them that the Chickasaw Indians actually owned the territory. <laughs> they sold them land that they didn't own. Um, and, and and it was also communal hunting lands for all the tribes. But there were literally, it was literally the happy hunting grounds because there were thousands upon thousands of graves in this area. Um, so, um, you know, there may have been a taboo because there was it was sacred because this was where a lot of native Americans had been buried. Right. Um, there were also a lot of Indian mounds, uh, built, uh, Centennial park had a couple of, uh, pyramids, um, where the Shelby bridge, no, not the Shelby bridge, the Jefferson street bridge in East Nashville was, there was a ceremonial complex where that was, uh, put, um, and um, bit by bit, they've bulldozed all the Indian mounds. Uh, the one mound up there in, in here in Sumner County uh, on um, uh, Center Point Road, uh, just a few years ago, they put a couple of houses on it. Uh, I drove back. This is before they built those expensive new homes. One summer night, we were driving along there, and it's it's a big conical mound uh, up, up um, like I said, on center point. Um, and uh, it was the middle of summer and something odd to me, to me, maybe it might not have been odd to anybody else, but there were millions, I don't mean thousands, I mean millions of fireflies all congregating around the Indian mound. And uh, I just stopped because it was amazing. They were all focused on the area around the mound. Hmm. And I, I stopped the car, and there's no cars coming in either direction. My my wife started to get freaked out. <laughs> but but if you drove a few hundred yards up the up the road or down the road, no fireflies. But right around that that old Indian mound were, like I said, millions of fireflies, and it was in the middle of summer. Um, I can't explain it, but maybe it was just they like the mound. Who knows? I think it was weird, but there's something know, some, some, about those things, about those mounds. There's something about them that is otherworldly in a way. Yeah, I never was able to get any. Uh, I mean, it, it, the, the center point mound is it was well known to the people in the area, but I, I never could get any stories about it. Huh. Um, and I just wonder, building building your home on top of an Indian mound, what what if they the folks who who moved in there a few years ago have had anything odd happen to them? But I mean, I'm speculating. That's uh, that's kind of um, like asking for it, right? Yeah, that's how, like poltergeist you know, started. like like pol- yeah, exactly, like poltergeist. Build build your house over a, a graveyard, yeah. Um, 
the thing about graves are just, normally they don't have a lot of paranormal activity until you start disturbing graves. Well, then you start getting. Isn't there a connection to the Bell Witch and an Indian mound? Yeah, one of the explanations as to why the Bell Witch started haunting the, the Bell family had to do with um, that the kids started, and up up there on the Red River, there, there were Indian mounds in that area too, and they started digging up Indian mounds looking for souvenirs and stuff, and they actually brought back um, like a tooth or something. Um, it's back to the house, and, and their father got angry as, you know, don't desecrate Indian graves. And, you know, um, he threw, I think the story goes that he threw the tooth out the window or, or landed on between the floorboards and went under the house, something like that. Anyway, the, to this day, the tooth is out there. Hmm. So you have, um, you but, have all this mythology and legend, and then you have the backdrop of the, the civil war that happened later. And so does all this kind of coalesce to create a, do you, do you think that the Tennessee area is really kind of like a, a hotbed of paranormal activity and hauntings? Yeah. Well, you know, you have first dragon coup, uh, dragon canoe lays a curse on the whites for settling the area. And bear in mind from about 1780 on to at least 1795, there was almost continuous Indian warfare in in the mid south. You know, the the they, um, the 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 Cherokee would raid uh, the settlements here. Then the Creek Indians, the the Chickasaw, uh, the um, Chickasaws at first were some of the most um, violent against the settlers, but they later came to terms with them. Um, but uh, none of the tribes were particularly happy about. Like we said, uh, their happy hunting grounds being settled by the whites, and 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 over the years, as the city uh, the city and the region grew, more and more Indian graves were desecrated and disturbed, um, which I don't think was a good thing. And um, you know, even after the Indian Wars, then you, Nashville and Middle Tennessee became um, a major battleground during the Civil War. Uh, I think. The only only state that had more civil war battles than Tennessee was was Virginia, and um, I guess a lot of the people who've moved, moved here in recent years don't realize that within ninety minutes of downtown Nashville there are five major battlefields, uh, and that's not counting the the raids and skirmishes and the minor minor attacks, uh, but the major pitched battles, uh, five major battles in Middle Tennessee. So. That's a lot of battles for one one small area. Yes, it is. And then you get down to to Chattanooga, and you've got you know several battles down in that area. Oh yeah, well you got a whole bunch there too. Um, you know, Chickamauga and the siege of of uh, of Knox uh, of Chattanooga, and you know, uh, lookout um, lookout mountain, uh, missionary ridge, uh, um, all of those. So. You know, it, it's Tennessee in general. It was amazing. Like I said, they they were fighting, and you know, in East Tennessee, they didn't have as many pitched battles. But what you had was um, East Tennessee was Unionist, occupied yes. by the Confederates. West Tennessee was Confederate, occupied by the Union. Mm-hmm. 
So in the West Tennessee, you had Confederate guerrillas attacking the Union troops. In East Tennessee, you had Unionist guerrillas attacking the Confederate group, the Confederate army. So there was a lot of vicious infight. I mean, vicious. Uh, you know, they, they like to portray the Civil War as this honorable and, you know, uh, everybody was gentlemanly and stuff like that. Not in Tennessee. It, it was it was pretty nasty at times. It was very uh, much brother against brother here. Yeah. Oh, very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Ambrose Bierce wrote uh, several stories based on that. Uh, uh, he he was not posted to East Tennessee, but his uh, his uh, unit, the Ninth Indiana, was. So he he wrote a couple of stories based on that, and also a couple of ghost stories too. Um, uh, so he. Um, and, and a lot of his stories revolve around, um, uh, oh, there was key, one, one story where he has the, um, the commanding officer orders the, his uh, captain or lieutenant to fire on this mansion, which turns out to be his wife's home. And he's ordered to fire on his own family, you know, <laughs> stories like Gosh. that. And mo- a lot of Ambrose Bierce's fiction is actually based on his real experiences during the war. Um, there's one obscure little story I came across that wasn't in any of the anthologies, um, about, um, uh, a body that was, had a bullet right through the center of its head, uh, at, at Stones River. And the, the, because it was very cold the night after the battle, they, they stole the blanket that was covering the body. And the next morning the body was all curled up like he kind of gotten cold in the, in the, in, in, in the night. But, you know, um, Beers left it up open whether the the man had somehow survived having a bullet in the middle of his forehead or whether he died of exposure. But, you know, a lot of Beers' stories are kind of virgin. You can't tell whether they're supernatural or just very strange. You know, he, he kind of always left you wondering. Um, he also had a weird sense of humor, too. So right. <laughs> he liked to... Um, but, um, yeah, he also wrote, um, the moonlit road, which is also based in Nashville about, uh, a seance, um, oh, really? at any rate, oh yeah. Huh. Anybody, if you, you, uh, you, um, you can find almost any of Beers' stories online, go look up the moonlit road. It, it's one of his, uh, his better ghost stories. And he, he wrote quite a few ghost stories. Are you familiar with the house that is, you have to tell me where this is, Sergio, because I don't quite remember, the one next to the, the old funeral home next to the Parthenon? Yes. Uh, yeah. You, it was. Uh, it's supposed uh, to be haunted. The, the the funeral home there, right on the edge of the, the Parthenon, uh, on uh, Centennial Park, is supposed bi- to be haunted. It was I, built for Ben Allen's wife after he passed. Uh-huh. And he was kind of a, a, a local uh a local figure who's very involved with spiritualism. And um we there's a original piece of stained glass that's still on that that I always thought was curious as I was growing up, that appears to be like some kind of looks like a, a eye of Horus kind of thing that you find in a lot of Masonic symbolism, but it has these like weird curling snakes around it. I always thought it was kind of strange. And I actually saw something very similar recently in like a, uh, 
this this strange sigil of what is it, Adam? Do you remember what it is? Like a, it's some kind of Babylonian magic, like a, yeah. a sigil yeah. of Tiamat or something. Yeah, and that's what it was. Yep, it's real strange. Are you familiar with Ben Allen stories and and the thing that? They no, I, I'm not familiar with that. The stained glass. I, I, I that's a. I mean, I'd heard heard about the the funeral home being haunted, but I'm not picked up about Ben Allen and the stained glass. Do you have any stories yeah. about the funeral home being haunted? No, I, I've read somebody else wrote wrote about it, um, and I'd, I'd read that, but I haven't written about it myself. But um, okay. your story about the stained glass, I, I need to check that out because that sounds interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely I, share it with my, you. Uh, it's, it's yeah, my wild. graduate work was in uh, Acadia, Assyria, and then Babylonian uh, archaeology. So that's right up your alley, uh, and I'll, I'll definitely send you some info. <laughs> yeah. on yeah, well, um, ancient Near Eastern studies, uh, e- Egyptology and uh, uh, Assyriology. So sounds um, like we could do a whole other show on that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, yeah, well, that's a long. St- yeah, that, that's a very involved subject. But yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, the first yeah, story I, 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 I turned to in this book, it was kind of a coincidence because uh, I'm in the construction industry and we're doing some new building on um, on Vall Lane in South Nashville. And mm-hmm. Volks, V-A-U-L-X. Yeah, is it? How do you actually pronounce it? Because I've never heard it. Is it Volks? I I think it's Volks, but I'm I'm not, I wouldn't swear to it because I, okay. I you know I I read it. But I, I think it's Volks. But, but, um, yeah, because of the weird spelling, you know, we're all working there and we're all trying to figure out how to say it. And um, when I get when I got a hold of your book, I immediately found the story about the Breeze Hill Mansion and I uh, get former General Vol who had a uh, whose plantation, I guess, all of that was on the grounds of and that it it was yeah. haunted, apparently, and finally torn down. But uh, that was yeah, that was it, you know, it was um, the Vox Mansion, and it was finally torn down. But it was a favorite, you know. Back, I going, uh, you know, I researched like back in old newspapers for years and years, decades and decades. It was a favorite. Uh, any newspaper reporter was stumped for a Halloween story would would invariably go over to the Vox House and and do something on that. So there was a lot of material on it. Um, and at very t- various times, uh, like it'd been a hangout for hippies, so they were doing a lot of drugs in the house. Um, and eventually, somebody uh, uh, somebody tried to restore it, but they were ha- they started getting real serious um, hauntings. Um, there was one where they'd hear a body tumbling down the stairwell, and the story was that it'd been a, a conf- Confederate uh, Union, I think it was a Union spy uh, or uh, who was spying on the Confederates, and she leaned over too far to hear what they were saying down on the first floor and, and fell to her death. Other people have gone in, were, would go into the mansion, and uh, suddenly they look outside, and the modern city disappeared, and it was just countryside like it had been in the 1800s. Ooh. Oh, that's you know, weird. They basically transport back in time. Um, so there's a lot of weird stories uh, about the Vox Mansion, and uh, someone eventually uh, uh, conducted like a, 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 a what do they call it? A cleansing, a house cleansing, and evidently that 
seen to get rid of the ghosts. And then, but the minute they started, did uh, cleansed it of the ghosts or, or spirits or whatever was haunting the place, the house immediately started to fall apart. You know, I mean, like physically. Wow. So evidently, whatever paranormal power was in there was keeping it uh, preserved. Um, and it was apparently then, a hospital or, or just served as a temporary hospital during the Civil War? Well, bear in mind, during the Battle of Nashville, uh, well, well, the Union Army commandeered Nashville very early in the war and turned almost all of downtown, Right, uh, commandeered all the businesses, and most of them were turned into hospitals. Mm-hmm. which is why the honky-tonks on Lower Broad and Second Avenue, the, the old buildings, the ones that date to the Civil War, have so many ghosts in them. Uh, almost all those honky-tonks down there on Lower Broad have some ghost story to tell. Um, some of them are from a little later, but um, a lot of them for date to the time of the Civil War. And uh, so, I mean, they've, they've collected various ghosts over the years. Some country and Western ghosts, too. You know, like Tootsie's has got the uh, ghost of a um, uh, uh, couple of country western ghosts allegedly haunted and um, same thing with the Ryman but uh, the older buildings like I said the ones that were converted into hospitals you know you had thousands of union dead coming I mean union wounded coming back and in those days you know they chop off a limb and a lot of times you didn't survive the, 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 the cure yeah so mm. Well, something we've been interested in for a while um, and that we've been discussing recently is the the whole Bell Witch stuff. And Mm -hmm. something that we've been studying recently, there's this location called Skinwalker Ranch in Utah uh, that we found similarities um, with kind of the, the Bell Witch mythos in that there's this assortment of paranormal phenomenon, not just ghosts, but also... Uh, like cryptozoological things, like big, big dogs, black dogs, um, yeah. floating orbs or lights, and all this kind of different paranormal activity all happening in one place. So we saw a parallel with the 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 Bell Witch phenomenon. Um, is yeah, there, be, yeah, besides the uh, poltergeist activity, um, before they started getting the, the, the physical uh, attacks on the family. They, they cited weird animals, um, like a, I think a two-headed bird of some sort. And then there was a black dog that kept uh, started hanging around. Yeah. Um, so they, there was... Um, and after the bell which supposedly left that area uh, in, in around Adams, it's had ghost lights and other strange things happen for years. I mean, still, still do from what I understand. Um, it's when a strange I went up, feeling it's been place. a while since hmm? the place has a strange feeling about it. Adams in general. Yeah. Yeah. And, and although the, the, the original stories don't mention anything about the cave, you know, the bell, Witch cave was, is tied in with that. And, you know, if you go in there, it, it ends, a certain length in, but it, you can tell that the lake cave has collapsed that originally went a lot further in there. Um, and there is um, a shaman's grave in there. Um, so, you know, it, the Native Americans believed it had certain, the cave had certain powers. Otherwise, really? it would have buried somebody in there. Yeah. I, I didn't mean, know it, that. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, there, there, there are thousands of graves in the area, but there aren't that many Indian graves in, in caves. So the, the assumption is that that, that, gra- that is the grave of an Indian shaman, a medicine man, who uh, chose to be buried in there. So there's a possibility his spirit is also kind of residing there, too. So The Bill Witch story is interesting in that it's become it's become really like a a piece of American folklore. But at mm-hmm. the same time, there's definitely like a kernel of truth to it. Oh yeah. And uh, well, you know, it usually is so good, like the title Bell Witch is kind of confusing to a lot of people because they always attribute that to like Kate Batts. But there's a lot of scholars have looked into it. So this Kate Batts really had nothing to do with it. No, well, they they always denied that, uh, I, and I worked with a lady who was a descendant of of uh, the Bats family, um, and she she says that the, the the villain of the piece was really uh, John Bell. But <laughs> you know, again, when you go back, uh, one one family says uh, one thing, and the other family says the other. So, um, but. Um, yeah, and and allegedly Andrew Jackson um, investigated himself. Um, there's two different accounts of, uh, and you know, again, it's kind of hard to verify whether Jackson actually visited, but it's something that he 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 was he and his uh, in-laws were like to carouse a little bit. You know, there, there's there's evidence that the um, his his uh, wife's uh, brothers and brothers-in-law were like to have were fond of their their hard drink so uh he and he and they would party sometimes so it's likely that they did visit the bell witch um um the bell family let's put it that way um and investigate it whether or not the stories are 100% true um they they're plausible let's put it that way um, another thing that you get into in the, in this book is, um, you have some, some of, I guess what you call the, the, the woolly, the woolly booger. Is that how you pronounce it? It's like a Sasquatch. <laughs> That's what type it's called. The, the woolly booger woolly is booger. another name for uh Bigfoot. Now, for some reason, the Northwest, uh, you know, uh, Oregon and Washington seem to be get the most attention for from uh, 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 cryptozoologists and, and Bigfoot exp- hunters. Um, and lately, you know, I, I've kind of shied away from some some of that because uh, there's so much junk being put on TV these days about it. But um, Middle Tennessee. Uh, again, uh, the Cumberland Valley and the Cumberland Plateau have, over the years, had, and, and also East Tennessee, too, have had a lot of reports of uh, um, uh, Bigfoot. Um, he goes by different names. Uh, Wooly Booger, uh, the Tennessee Stink Ape is another one I like. Uh, <laughs> um, now, and also, um, I believe the Wilpus Wallopus may be related uh, although that again it's it, some of these stories kind of go back to indian times um reporting strange creatures um you can't always pin down that it's bigfoot the earliest bigfoot uh sighting and this is in uh, i think 
in Dixie Spirits, which is a, a um, I, I wrote two books on Tennessee ghosts, Strange Tales of the Dark and Bloody Ground, and Ghosts and Haunted Tennessee. But Dixie Spirits is kind of a ghost sampler for the the South in general. And um, um, in North Carolina, the of course you have the mystery of Virginia Dare and and the the Roanoke Colony. Right now, mm-hmm. one one odd thing uh, the when they finally did come back to uh, uh, take care of the the Roanoke Colony, they of course disappeared. Uh, but reports later surfaced that the uh, settlers had uh, gone up into the mountains where they lived uh, uh, hunting uh, mountain apes. Now, there are no apes known to North America, but evidently in the early, you know, Elizabethan reports, they, they, they heard reports that the, the uh, Roanoke settlers were living, um, you know, hunting up in the mountains uh, on mountain apes. So what are mountain apes? And that's in the old records, too. So evidently there was something up there that resembled Uh, either an ape man or a man ape, you know, in in the Appalachians. Um, Yeah, and that's that's in Dixie Spirits. Uh, It it mainly relates to the the Roanoke colony. But like I said, I came across that odd entry in, in some of the early records, and I said, whoa, mountain apes. Boy, that kind of sounds like Bigfoot to me, but you know, and 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 in the cryptozoology uh, thing, there's this big debate whether Bigfoot is a man ape or an ape man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't get into that. Or but, an interdimensional uh, being. Yeah. Or that's the other thing. There is that crossover between UFO sightings and sightings of Bigfoot. Um, that he often uh, appears in areas where there have been numerous UFO sightings. So, do we got have that, anything that like that around it. here, like UFO and Bigfoot sightings together? Um, that you know of? Not that I know of, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Let's put it that way. Uh, I know Pennsylvania had, has a lot. Yeah, and and then you also have. Uh, Weird creatures like you know, well, West Virginia has its um, you know Mothman. So oh yeah, that, that I also yeah I also discussed that in Dixie Spirits because that that they even made a movie, kind of a movie out of uh, out of Mothman. Uh, we talked to the screenwriter that wrote that movie, the uh, the screenplay oh, did, writer. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, Richard I mean, he obviously took literary license to to make a, a, a compelling story, but yeah. but. Um, and, and I think Jeepers Creepers series of horror movies is probably loosely based on on Mothman as well. But uh, Mothman and Spring not... Hill Jack maybe a little bit too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, actually, there's been a couple of sightings of something like a Mothman in Middle Tennessee. Uh, so I've heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, down down in in Williamson County. Uh, yes. A couple mm-hmm. of sightings. Um, wow. Again. Um, I, I report what people have said they saw. I, I haven't seen it myself, so I can't swear to 100%. But on the other hand, who's to know? Uh, there's a lot of strange things that are going on that science doesn't want to deal with because they can't explain it. 
Another one Adam was familiar with was the the Green Ghoul of Chickamauga or Old Green Eyes. Is that is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, Old Green Eyes. Uh, yeah, Old Green Old Green Eyes. Yeah. Um, I grew up hearing about Old Green Eyes. <laughs> yeah, I talked to one uh, when I was um, uh, uh, dealing with the. Uh, I think I don't know whether it was Strange Tales or, or Ghosts and Haunts of the Civil War. I came across one fellow who from from Chattanooga area. And he um, evidently had a personal encounter with old green eyes. He was, when he was young, a lot younger, uh, evidently the Chickamauga battlefield used to be a good place for young couples to go make out. And uh, he was on Snodgrass Hill with his date, and they were um, evidently communicating intensely, uh, shall we say, when <laughs> something crawled on the back of the, his uh sedan and he 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 didn't couldn't make out what exactly it was but he said that there was these two green eyes and they were set farther apart than a human would be and they two glowing green eyes and uh, he could even feel the the, the warmth of the breath uh, on on him he had a, a, a convertible and he that was enough for him you know, they suddenly stopped making out and he put his car in gear and got the hell out of there real fast. Um, so, you know, I do have one eyewitness account of having experienced whatever it is, uh, green eyes. There's different ex- explanations. One yeah. is that, that the creature that after the battle, there were so many dead lying about that he went about devouring the bodies of, of the, the dead and, and maybe the wounded. The other is that uh, the least credible is that, um, um, uh, the uh, icon or image of uh, one of the Union brigades was was uh, a tiger, and um, that the statue of the tiger comes to life and prowls the grounds. I I tend not to believe that. Damn Yankees. Then there's also the. Hmm? I'm sorry. I said damn Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, this, I think somebody invented that because it sounded good. There, there is a monument to um, um, one of the Union brigades, and, and you know, uh, and it's the image of a um, um, crouching tiger. Or, um, but yeah, I've seen that monument. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't believe that one. On the other hand, uh, the possibility that some uh, large creature. After the battle, you know, you have all these this fresh, fresh meat on the battlefield. Was going around, kind of gnawing on the bodies, uh, is not beyond belief. Um, and, and there are a lot of other ghost stories related to Chickamauga that battlefield too. So, uh, um, see, I, you know, there's a. I was always told there was always this contention, and it depended on who you spoke to in Chattanooga in that North Georgia area was that either green eyes was a ghost or he was some kind of weird cryptid creature. And that story would yeah. change from person to person. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. Uh, like I said, yeah. I, I've heard different, different explanations that it was like a, the green ghoul was like a, it's human like creature, two legged, or that it was a, a four footed creature, like a, like a mountain lion or a tiger or something like that. Um, so, and, and the fellow that I talked to, the, his experience, he 
what he what little he he couldn't see the outline of the body, but just from the the, the eyes being set far apart, he concluded it was some kind of large predatory feline. Hmm. So that's uh, he he actually experienced it. So now again, it's late at night, and you can't. All he saw were the two glowing green eyes, but um, um. It's real. <laughs> but whatever it is, it's real. Um, um, let's. I want to ask you. And we, that, oh, that also gets us into the wampus cat. But I, I have. Oh yeah, the wampus I wrote cat. A, yeah. Well, that's that's again. You know, you have folklore merging with uh, fact, merging with uh, fantasy. So, trying to sort the, all that out is it, sometimes difficult um, uh, because uh, while they're and but that, the, the green ghoul is not the wampus cat. That's that's another feline creature of of the mid south. Um, but it's it's an interesting cryptid. Let's put it that way. Uh, the Chattanooga airship. Because ah, this well, was a total now, new I, one on me. Like I said. Well, and it's documented in the papers, um, and. You know, again, I've also written about UFOs in Dixie Spirits and um, and a couple of other uh, places too. Uh, I I think Ghosts and Haunts of Tennessee. I, I kind of, even though strictly speaking they're mostly ghost stories, I kind of again merge. Uh, sometimes we'll throw in a UFO account, and again, it, when you have something like ghost lights, where you know, go. Ghost lights are are a type of UFO, but they're they're not spaceships, but they're unexplained phenomenon like that. Um, yeah, the ghost, um, the um, uh, well, cigars from Mars, whatever you want to call them. Uh, the uh, uh, did uh, the Tennessee Valley was uh, visited uh, back in the early years of the 20th century. Um, by uh, by uh, over the period of a couple of weeks actually um now now the thing is uh, the early late 19th and early 20th century reports still describe the mystery airship or a flying cigar or something like that um which you know potentially could be they just saw uh, you know uh, um, a, a dirigible you know a, a an airship uh, that that's, but on the other hand, they're, they're describing a phenomenon, aerial phenomenon in what they, what they could identify with. In other words, they, right. they knew airships, they knew uh, lighter than aircraft. Um, the idea that it might be from outer space, uh, you know, wasn't, didn't even enter their minds. They were mystery airships, but um, Huntsville, not Knoxville and Chattanooga, all had sightings uh, over a, uh, a period of a week or two. Um, and now the thing is, it, this is, um, um, there were, I, I double checked to, in case maybe somebody was buzzing the, the Tennessee Valley in, a, in an airship. Uh, and, you know, James, uh, all the world's aircraft is like the, authoritative source on, on all sorts of crafts, military and civilian. And back around 1909, 1908, 
they did have they did publish uh, Jane's all the world's air, airships uh, or craft. And um, while there were a number of airships being developed at that time in the United States, none of them are known to have been uh, built in the the, the, the mid south. Um, um, it's not beyond technical ability, but um, some of the descriptions of the speed of the aircraft um, were were beyond the, the... Now, they weren't flying very fast. They, they seemed to be cruising up and down the valley, observing uh, whatever, the ground, the, the cities. Um, and they one described it as uh, traveling at the speed of a hurricane, which hurricanes, mm. you know, in terms of uh, aerial flight is not that fast, but no plane and no dirigible in 1910 or 1909 right. was capable of that speed. So, right. so it, if they're just saying it was traveling at uh, that only a, a, a hurricane or a tornado could travel any faster, that's tra- still traveling a lot faster than any known aircraft. Now, by the end of World War One, yeah, planes were traveling that fast, uh, and and dirigibles too, but not in 1909, 1910, in that area. Um, so that's why I credit it as being UFOs. And 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 as far as I know, no explanation ever came forward as to the sightings. Thousands of people did sight the the craft flying over uh, their cities. And it even became a, kind of a, a running joke sometimes because they, it was some bartender invented a drink based on it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, there was no ex, no one ever came forward saying, "Oh, that was my air airship" um, or anything like that. Um, like I said, Jane's all the world's airships for 1909 lists all manner of lighter than aircraft, and uh, like I said, there were ships on the drawing board. But most of them were a little more than, you know, a gleam in the inventor's eyes. And um, there were only four in actual existence in the United States at that time. So, and none of them could go travel more than 25 miles an hour. So and this was also we're talking, 15 years, I think, or so after the the initial, like, airship flap. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Now, the, the, tr- the trouble is, in the late 19th century, you had board editors in newspapers who, um, it is suspected, sometimes invented the stories. Uh, you know, Jules Verne came up with uh, a couple of short, uh, couple of novels about air flight based on uh, lighter-than-aircraft. And some editors kind of enhanced on that, and, and just to fill newspaper print, uh, you know, in between ads, uh, did fabricate stories. The trouble is telling uh, apart the actual eyewitness accounts from the, the editors who like to tell tall tales. Um, the, this one in the 1909, uh, 1910, um, is authentic. It, it, this is after the, there was a spate, like I said, in the 1880s, I think it was, there was a spate of, of mystery airships with the seen mostly the invention of, of newspaper editors. Right. That said, there, there were also a couple of 
eyewitness accounts that never made it into the newspapers of having seen um, mystery cigars. And, and the whole whole thing of the cigar ship shaped um, UFOs, um, that was the one ones that were reported at that time. But there have been off and on reports of UFOs in the shape of cigars uh, all the way up to the present day. And they're just not as common as they used to be, uh, but they still get reported if you, if you track down the literature. So, and I, I saw one, one morning I was coming back from uh, taking my wife to work. It was like at 5.30 in the morning. And it, if it hadn't been a foggy morning, I wouldn't have seen it at all. But I saw uh, some kind of bright object descending at a rapid rate down um, at a 45-degree angle. This is, like I said, 5.30 in the morning, still dark, and, and it was foggy, so it, it glowed even more brightly than normal. And if I hadn't looked up, I wouldn't have seen it because it, it was a split second. It was maybe 10 seconds at most that it flashed downward. As near as I can tell, it would have landed in Old Hickory Lake, but I never heard anything in the newspapers about it. Wow. That's crazy. So I saw a UFO. I mean, I, maybe it was a meteor. Who knows? But um, if it's if it's unexplained um, aerial phenomenon, it's a UFO. Until it until it gets explained, it's a UFO. Well, I wanted to ask you if there's a to get back, I guess, to the the hauntings. Uh, are there particular hauntings? of Tennessee that, that you, that are some of your favorites that, that you're really interested in? That... Well, you know, like I said, I, I, I've picked them up over the years and, and sometimes it's somebody will tell me one thing and some another. Um, and, um, uh, it's hard to kind of pick one. I mean, obviously the bell, the bell, Witches is a one of one of my favorites mm-hmm. and of course everybody else is too um, um the uh, and one of the stories i don't think I, I i did write about the in strange tales about tennessee's haunted capital but i yeah. was later told in, uh, a little bit more um, by um, the state curator of another account um that the you know the couple on top of the Capitol building, that little circular thing that they stuck on top of the state capitol. Yeah. Well, when this when the Union Army occupied the city, they landed troops down on Lower Broadway, and of course the first thing they did was start went up to the Capitol and raise to raise a flag over the state capitol. You know that's. Well, evidently, according to one legend, uh, Jim Jim Hoover, who's this, now he takes no, he's just relating the story. He doesn't know whether it's true or not. But supposedly an old, one of the secessionist uh, state legislators, uh, this old gentleman refused to leave, and he was not going to let the Yankees put the American flag over the state capitol. And he stood up in that it's like a wrought iron circular staircase leading to the flagpole. And he stood on the staircase saying, and with an old flintlock rifle, and he said, you'll put that flag over the state capitol over my dead body, at which point from behind the, the, the color guard came a shot. One of the, one of the soldiers decided to take him up on that and shot him dead, and his body tumbled down, down around the circular staircase. 
and they put the flag up over the, the Capitol building. Supposedly, ever since then, workers inside the state capitol um, don't like to go up there to do maintenance because they keep seeing a kind of a mist on on the wrought iron stair stair staircase, um, and they they all think it's the the old secessionist uh, state legislators still guarding the staircase. So that's one of several stories about the state state legislature. Uh, I mean, you know. I, I don't know if any of the listeners ever remembered Lieutenant Governor Wilder, but he regularly <laughs> saw ghosts uh, in and inside the state capitol and, and outside. Um, he was evidently and now, of course, a lot of people attributed it to his frequenting the Oak Room over in the Hermitage Hotel. But he was serious about it. He he's claimed to see uh, various ghosts inside the state capitol. Um, Lieutenant Wilder's is gone, long gone now, but he was, uh, you know, he was a believer. Hmm. And the main story that, that Nashvilleians would be familiar with is the, uh, well, the fact that there's two people entombed in the Capitol, right? And is there ghosts who people think oh, they see? Yeah. Yeah. And, and state troopers and, and state Capitol police who guarded, uh, the Capitol grounds at night swear that they've heard, uh, they'll, they'll hear, some kind of yelling going on and go over there and to see what the disturbance is and, and nothing will be there. And uh, we'll see the, the architect um, was commissioned to build, uh, they, they went all out to build the state capital. They imported German stone masons and this architect was brought over and from back East and they, they wanted to spare no expense to build it, except that they also didn't want to spend much money. <laughs> you know the politician. The politicians wanted a first-class capital, but they then they appointed an overseer to keep an eye on the architect, so he didn't spend too much money. So the overseer and the architect were always at odds with one another. Um, the architect would want uh, the finest marble, and the the the, the overseer would no, you can you can get by cheaper than that. And they they go back and forth, and that's why the building took too long, so long to build because it's state legislature kept not spending, uh, appropriating the money and the, the, uh, masons and the other, uh, uh, construction workers weren't paid. Um, finally, after I think it, 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 about 10 or 12 years, they finally finished it. Um, they, maybe even longer. I'm, I'd have to look it up anyway to, uh, as a kind of a thank you to the architect for his long, long work in, in sticking with the construction of the, the Capitol, they allowed his body to be interned in the foundations of the Capitol building. And the only other person that they gave that, um, that honor to was, of course, the overseer. So the two people who more or less hated each other's guts were buried for eternity next to me in the same building. <laughs> and according to the state troopers and other people uh, familiar with the, the Capitol, these two guys still go at it through eternity and hate each other's guts, even though they're, they're bound for eternity in the same building. Still having the same disagreements over and over and over. <laughs> Over and over again, over, you know, you know, we don't know, we don't want marble, then we want granite, and oh, you know, they're going on and on about this, that, and the other um, through eternity. 
Well, Christopher- and there's some some poltergeist activity too that I've heard about too, but that's oh, wow. beside the point. Well, Christopher, thank you so much. I mean, this has been awesome. I mean, it's a, we, well, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of all the material. That yeah, you and have. that's uh, mostly covered uh, Strange Tales of the Dark and Bloody Ground. I have yeah. the sequel to it out, which is Ghosts and Haunts of Tennessee, and that covers a lot about the haunted honky, honky tonks on Lower Broad and a uh, couple I, other things. I'm going to have to get that one. Yeah. Where absolutely. can people yeah, get the and, books? Uh, well, they're, they're all in print. So uh, any. Uh, any good uh, bookstore, if they don't have it in stock, they can back order it within a day or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what are your plans for the future? Do you have anything in the works you can divulge to anybody? Or? Well, I've been working on. Um, well, I I almost I'm also interested in the uh, age the age of Arthur, the, the King Arthur's. Um, been working on a book, a novel on that era, like a historical novel, and uh, also another Civil War book um, that deals with uh, some leading characters that, because uh, I did a lot of research for the the, the book uh, about Ambrose Bierce, and, and I call it the period of honorable strife, or actually Bierce called it that. Um, so I already did a lot of research on for the uh, especially about the the, the army of uh, the Cumberland and the army of Tennessee and the army of the Tennessee, it gets confusing. The Confederates had their army was called the army of Tennessee. The uh, Grant's army was called the army of the Tennessee uh, after the river. So yeah. a lot of people get confused over that. Um, but at, at any rate, they've got another civil war book in the works as well as a, like I said, I'm trying to convince uh, some publisher to, uh, about a historical novel dealing with the age of Arthur. So we'll see. Well, excellent, Christopher. Thank you so much uh, for doing this. And uh, uh, do you have like a website or just the Amazon? Yeah, I've got um, uh, two websites. Uh, one, uh, well, I've actually got several, but uh, one is called uh, uh, Dixie Spirits website based on... I. I have a book named Dixie Spirits. So one one is Dixie Spirits is the web the website on WordPress. And the other one is the uh it's dealing mostly with the Civil War, although then again here again because uh first the Ambrose Spears and also I've done a whole book on ghosts and haunts of the Civil War. Um the late the late unpleasantness is the uh website that deals with uh, uh the civil war and civil war ghost stories things like that okay cool excellent well thank you so much sir for for doing this um stay on the line for us and uh we're going to close this section out and uh we'll be right, right back with a few other extra guests on conspiracy uh-huh. And Rob's ready to go to bed. It's been a long one. A long three or four, actually. Yeah, so we just did uh, what like an hour and 20 minutes with uh, Christopher Coleman, and then we did like another hour and 20 minutes with the guys from Cruising with Steak. Which was real fun. Which was fun, yeah. And uh, we're going to put that up on our Patreon feed. Because uh, 
Some of the language on there isn't appropriate for <laughs> for our PG thirteen audience. Yeah, some of our uh, like we we got a lot of uh, what is it uh, radio stuff that we kind of have to cater to. So syndication. Yeah. So it was a little better to uh, not have Rob like pulling his hair out trying to. Yeah, that no. Get all out all the f bombs. That would have been <laughs> nearly impossible. It would have been just like watching Goodfellas on uh, regular TV. So we'd rather just do it that way. So uh, any insights on Christopher Coleman, uh, Rob? What do you think of that man? Oh, that was great. It's, it's cool to have like a lot of local stuff and hear about places that I know of. And I never yeah. heard any of the stories he was talking about either. Yeah, there was quite a few things in there that were that were new to me, like the shaman. Being buried in the Bell Witch Cave. Uh, the Wilson I've County never blood heard rain. that before. Yeah. The Wilson County Blood Rain. Uh, I heard of the, Dave, the of Oliver flesh. Lang disappearance. Yeah. What's uh, for you, Sergio? And thank you for setting that up, by the way. Yeah, man. It was cool. Uh, you know, I mean, he kind of, he, it's, it's more, there's more ghost stories in it than anything, but I mean, all that for Tiana. And the uh, the crypto stuff and the airships. I mean, it was kind of the whole uh, you know the whole paranormal gamut. So it was it was real interesting. And you know, I've been getting more into local history, and when I can combine that with the weird stuff, it's it's really fun. Yeah, um, we're going to continue on with this theme for the next couple of episodes. We've got. John Tenney coming on, and then we have Nick Redfern coming on. And hopefully maybe try to squeeze those in before Halloween actually comes. So, But uh, John Tenney, uh, just going to talk to him about some of his cases that he's worked on, and maybe just kind of, you know, talk about any kind of like paranormal subject we kind of want to talk about. We haven't had John on in a, it's been a while, uh, and the last time we had him on, we talked about the Kennedy assassination. So that was about three years ago now. We haven't talked to John about three years. And Nick Redfern is coming back. We're going to talk about his book about paranormal parasites. So, which was interesting because uh, when Christopher Coleman was telling us about the green eyes and the two kids going to Snodgrass Hill to make out. There's a section in that book. And I just read that today, actually. So a little bit of a synchronicity where Nick is talking about these lovers lane, um, cryptid encounters. And the idea is that they're feeding off of some kind of sexual energy. Yeah. And then Christopher Coleman relates the story that this guy told him about being in this, they're making out on Stonegrass Hill and seeing green eyes on the truck. So it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a little curious to dig in a little bit more on that. Um, just weird how something I read today was reflected in something that we, we talked about. And that earth cosmic coincidence control office is turned all yes. the way up. <laughs> yes. And Rob, are you going to survive uh, through the Halloween season? We'll see. I'm planning on it. Good. Yeah. Good. We're, we're we're looking forward to your to your uh to your movie night. Getting that screen working over here. 
Yeah. What night did I say that was going to be? <laughs> was it like the 28th or something? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone make sure to do due diligence and check your pumpkin for communists. That's right. For what? For communists. For communists. <laughs> yeah. Check- see the pictures of Nixon and stuff. Look at with the. Uh, wasn't it Nixon? I think was was with a. Uh, was with McCarthy looking for. Oh yeah, yeah, pumpkins. yeah. The pumpkin with Alger Hits thing. Yeah. Oh, that's what, the okay, yeah. the uh, the um the uh, what is that? The you go to the library. The the film microfilm. Where you they, they had something in a pumpkin patch. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I was wondering what you were talking about. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah I was trying to make a funny joke. <laughs> trying to make a Halloween joke. Rob, we just did the Patreon with Cruising with Steaks. So tell everybody where they can find our Patreon. Yeah, we got so many on there. I don't even remember how many at this point. We're doing a lot of extra stuff lately. Uh, you go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal for all that bonus content. Uh, there's various subscriptions there. And if you don't want to subscribe to a monthly fee, you can do a one-time donation on our website at conspiranormal.com. And if you want to contribute to the show, but you don't want to spend money doing it, you can always just do a uh, five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen. And we did have a Patreon named Ed Black that listened to the last Patreon we did with Jenny and Tom. And he said, this was hilarious, even better than the public show, pays to be a Patreon. Ha ha. Hey. So, True. that's Listen a plug. That, yeah, from, we get to cut loose on the Patreon. Yeah, we get to, we're, we're, we're a little less formal. And you'll, you'll get to hear that with the Cruise of Mistake, guys. All right, I think that's it. And uh, we'll be back next time for more Halloween weirdness on Conspiranormal!
real-time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.